When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sowing the seeds of cannabis and sounding the praise of our favorite plants, it's time to Hemp Resent. Our radio resident Hempo Sapien, Vivian McPeak, will present a weekly platform for guests and listeners to Hemp Resent about hemp and cannabis from the legal, activist, and reformist route. Let's round up and roll it up for our headmaster of hemp, Vivian McPeak. Welcome to the Hemp Present Resistance, the weekly radio podcast where you can get your PhD in THC because you don't just want to burn it, you want to learn it. Seeking to defeat the alternative facts of prohibition one interview at a time and advocating for the plant, the whole plant, and nothing but the plant. Join me for a weekly reefer radio rebellion against prohibition as I speak with some of the principal risk takers, movers, and shakers, and history makers of the cannabis industry, culture, and reform movement. I'm your host, Vivian McPeak. I am the executive director of the world's largest annual cannabis policy reform event, the Seattle Hemp Fest, in its 26th year, founded hempfest.org. I'm also the author of the book Protestable, a 20-year retrospective of Seattle Hemp Fest from AHA Publishing, also found at hempfest.org. Today's guest on Hempresent is Washington State-based industrial hemp activist Joy Beckerman. The word hemp means different things to different people, but to most of us, it indicates the brand of cannabis that grows tall and stalky, has excellent fiber strands, densely nutritious seed, and contains such a small amount of THC that it's virtually impossible for it to get you high. While stony cannabis remains illegal under federal laws, industrial hemp has been given a little legal will room under the 2014 Farm Bill. In the United States, hemp can only be legally grown under certain conditions and only in 13 states. At the moment, due to state and federal mandates, industrial hemp can only be cultivated or processed and marketed. In Washington State, it if it aligns with the research goals of something called the Industrial Hemp Research Pilot, or the IHRP. Anyone who submits a proposal to Washington State Department of Agriculture for approval to do research may be issued a license to participate in the hemp research program. To prevent cross-pollination between crops of intoxicating cannabis and industrial hemp varieties, a distance between industrial hemp and cannabis crops has been instituted. A four-mile separation is required between the two crops until there is research on how the pollen of the two plants interact. The law also states that processing any part of industrial hemp except seed as food, extract, oil, cake, concentrate, resin, or other preparations for 
topical use, oral consumption, or inhalation by humans is prohibited. And that means that someone can produce industrial hemp seeds for human consumption, such as extracting oil from hemp seeds or the valuable hemp protein the plant produces, but not from any other part of the plant. But don't take my word for it. Joy Beckerman is the principal industrial hemp specialist at Hemp Ace International, a Seattle-based consulting and educational firm serving the global community. She is the president of the Washington State chapter of the Hemp Industries Association, a national normal board member, and an advisor to multiple cannabis associations. As an internationally respected voice, writer, and public speaker on a spectrum of cannabis subjects, Joy has presented at continuing legal education seminars in colleges, universities, and conferences over the last several decades. She also works directly with lawmakers and regulators, both proactively and upon request. She even grants interviews on cannabis radio. Welcome back, Joy, to Hemp Present. Such an honor, Vivian. Thank you for everything you do for all forms of cannabis every day, brother. Back at you. Tell us, Joy, what exciting work you're doing these days and how you were involved in the industrial hemp movement. Well, you know, as as the founding president of the Washington Hemp Industries Association, we're finally getting going here. We planted our first legal industrial hemp crop in over 90, uh, almost almost 90 years this June. So the crop was put in the ground on June 2nd uh, and finished up on June 6th. So our first 115 legal acres have gone in. So that's keeping me very busy. But of course, the rollout of the legitimacy of industrial hemp research, which is Section 7606 of the 2014 federal farm bill that you mentioned in your awesome introduction here. The rollout of that state by state has been keeping me very busy. And of course, infrastructure is being built. So networking folks together, uh, North America and throughout the globe, but it's happening. Industrial hemp is finally happening. It's real. And uh, and I'm keeping very busy that way. Of course, as a member of the National Board of Directors for the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, NORML, in 1970, um, I'm also very busy because we're doing continuing on with this tremendous work. Uh, we'll have our 50th anniversary um, in, for normal in, um, in in three years because it was formed in 1970, and these guys are just amazing and uh, really getting a lot of big work done on Capitol Hill and on the federal level with normal with marijuana. Until July 23rd of this month, industrial hemp was considered a Schedule One illegal substance under the Washington state law. What changed and what designation does industrial hemp have now? Well, it's interesting. So House Bill 2064 here passed. It was It's a long act of justice that needed to be done, and Representative Matt Shea uh, was the hero to do it. Uh, it did not affect our law at all in terms of our existing hemp law that requires any uh, licensing and, and any type of production uh, for industrial hemp happening. It must happen within our industrial hemp research pilot program, as you know. However, HB 2064 did formally remove industrial hemp from the State Uniform Controlled Substances Act. So technically, it is no longer a controlled substance in the state of Washington. The issue is that the act itself did not do anything to amend our existing law, which, of course, does require a participation in the program. Is it true, Joy, that Washington State is the only place in the world where both industrial hemp and euphoric cannabis, which I, I know I, I said earlier in my uh, – I said uh, a different word, but, but euphoric is a better word than psychoactive mm-hmm. or whatever it was. Uh, is it mm-hmm. true that, that Washington State is the only place in the world where both industrial hemp and euphoric cannabis can be legally cultivated outdoors? 
You know, I think the key word that is missing there, and I know we discussed this earlier, is commercially legal. So there are plenty of states that do have legal outdoor uh, cultivation for hemp, and they have, you know, either medical grow, home grow that's allowed, or a personal home grow that's allowed in in a couple of the legal states. However, when it comes to commercial legalization, so large-scale farming, uh, California, which rules are still being written right now, so they're not doing it yet, they'll be the second one. But in terms of the legal states that have outdoor legal commercial cultivation, we are the only one in the United States, and I believe the only one in the world that is allowing this outdoor. Even in Canada, of course, all of their legal um, marijuana, their medical and adult use cannabis um, is indoor. So yes, it's very unique. It's a very unique situation here. And, and I'd love to elaborate just for a second on that four-mile rule. You know, right now we sort of say, well, it's four miles until we get um, more data. But the reality is that the WHIA, the Washington Hemp Industries Association, we're going to be going in there to reduce um, without science. We're going to be going in there to reduce that barrier. It's very prohibitive to um, industrial hemp farmers in our state. Uh, we absolutely need to learn how to be good neighbors and be good farmers. Um, but we, this four-mile distance is not fair to anybody. And it is particularly not fair to hemp farmers because we recently learned that the state is going to interpret that four miles is saying, hey, if you can be eligible for your license, hemp grower, because there isn't an outdoor um, 502 grow within four miles, you can get your license and you can start your hemp farm. However, if a 502 producer comes in before you go to renew your license and they're now within that four-mile barrier, you won't be able to renew your license, hemp farmer, because now you'll be ineligible because the 502 guy just or girl just decided to come into your four miles. That's not fair. That's not happening on our watch. So we are going to have to change that and work hard, among other big changes in our in our program um, over the summer to get things right for next year's program. What do you think, Joy, are some of the other greatest challenges in regard to domestic industrial hemp production? Well, you know, on a national level, um, and even on an international level, as hemp rises again, the issue is infrastructure. So unlike our cousin marijuana, where you can conceivably grow the plant, cure the plant, and consume the plant, maybe there's some packaging involved in there. And of course, I'm not talking about taking it to an extraction or an edible, although even that is more minimal processing. So unlike that, those simple steps um, to bring that uh, the marijuana plant to market, with industrial hemp, what we've got is cultivation, harvesting, storage, processing, oftentimes further processing, and then manufacturing. So we often hear, and I love the folks, I can't stand being the dream killer that I often end up having to be um, when folks, you know, like, I want to grow my own hemp and and I want to make t-shirts. Well, there's going to be several million dollars between you and your t-shirt because you're going to have to grow that plant, harvest it, store it, process it, just the decortication, which is the initial processing of separating that beautiful outer bast fiber and the and the shiv, which is or herd, the inner woody core, that's called decortication. And those facilities alone are incredibly important. But at that point, you've got super raw materials that need to be much further processed for its end use. And so folks need to understand that there is infrastructure in the tunes of tens and hundreds of millions of dollars that need to come in on top of the fact 
that ideally uh, for economy of scale, we need to have these processing facilities within certain distances of each biomass feedstock. So the processing facility that's going up in North Carolina, not really going to help us here in Washington. We frankly could use several in Washington. And even the seed, for example, which is in itself a raw material, so you wouldn't think, well, gee, is that going to require a lot of processing? In fact, that seed is a delicate seed. It's highly dense nutrition, dense nutrition, as you mentioned, so articulately, and we need to store that properly. It needs to be in a dry temperature control, moisture control situation, and of course, it needs to be devitalized. So a viable hemp seed, a seed capable of germination, is a Schedule One controlled substance, so it needs to either have the hull removed. Yes, it needs to either have the hull removed, which is great. You know, all these opportunities, by the way, we call them challenges in infrastructure, and they are. They're also tremendous investment opportunities for the capitalists and for uh, entrepreneurs and for small businesses and cottage industries. And I bet you we need to go to a break soon, but I'm going to be excited to tell you a little bit about cottage industry and that challenge that we have here in our rules. And I bet you there's a question coming up about it. Very good. We do have a break coming up, but we still have time uh, to ask, is it true that the land where the Pentagon sits today, the United States Pentagon, was previously the United States Department of Agriculture's hemp plantation? I love it. So Leister Dewey was a researcher that was hired by the USDA back in uh, the early 20th century. And in fact, it's Leister Dewey's USDA Bulletin 404 that came out in 1916, wherein he proved, hey, four, uh, one acre of, of hemp can produce four times more paper than trees over a 20-year period. Keep in mind, it costs about 20 years for that tree paper to grow, uh, that, uh, the paper tree to grow. We can't just grow a, a tree in one year. Having said that, the hemp farms, the very hemp farms on which uh, Leister Dewey grew his hemp to perform his research on behalf of the USDA, there is a corner of that on which the Pentagon sits today as we speak. And stories like that ad nauseum, but absolutely a corner of the Pentagon is on Leister Dewey's USDA hemp field. That is crazy. Who would would ever imagine that? And, And of course, those hemp fields, if I'm not wrong... This USDA hemp plantation was had a lot to do with World War II and the need for industrial hemp. You think that's accurate? You know, World War II was, I suppose, coming. We're talking about 1916 when when his research was completed and published. And as you may know, we didn't really enter the war until 1942. So maybe the coincidence you're thinking of there is, of course, USDA's Hemp for Victory film. Right. Right. Um, okay. Right. But- so. So, so the hemp plantation was long gone by the time the Pentagon came around. Yes, indeed. And you could say that it was. I mean, we were still, obviously, it was 1937 Marijuana Tax Act that that regulated and taxed the hemp industry out of existence. It was sort of hanging on by a thread a little bit in the the end there because, of course, the invention of the cotton gin had really just, we got into these special interest fiber wars in the South by that time. Um, But still, we had plenty of factories, um, rope-making factories, textile factories, certainly birdseed. Uh, was a huge part of of the industrial hemp scheme um, back in, in during that time. But as you can even see from the uh, USDA film Hemp for Victory, and I hope anybody who has 13 and a half minutes and want to change their lives, that they'll get onto YouTube tonight and Google Hemp for Victory, that USDA film, but you can even see the footage of the incredible infrastructure that we had here in America 
two processes, very valuable, the most valuable uh, stock biocellulose in the world. So we actually had all that infrastructure here, even at that time. A lot of it was melted down, retrofitted, sold to Mexico. And by the way, Mexico is not using it for hemp. Um, but we did, we had infrastructure there, just, just that it was a convergence of special interests that occurred, you know, that led to the Marijuana Tax Act. And a lot of it was better living through chemistry, the ability to get salicylic acid out of Willow Park and make that first aspirin, um, you know, these synthetic polymers for petrochemical-based plastics, all of that, the, the wood, cellulose, paper pulp making process, all of that was sort of happening at once. It was truly a harmonic convergence of special interests that led up to it. But then when Japan uh, attacked Manila, uh, they cut off our supply, our U.S. Navy supply of industrial hemp. Understand that no country, uh, particularly England and America, has really satisfied their own need for industrial hemp since the history of both worlds. In fact, in the War of 1812, uh, England's as it were, Napoleon invaded Russia to cut off England's supply of naval hemp and did a very effective job at that. And that is exactly what Japan did to us uh, when they attacked Manila and cut off our supply. Supply, and that's why the USDA film Hemp for Victory came about. And in fact, now having listened to it 250 times in my life, you can actually hear the part where the narrator says from the USDA, and when our dwindling reserves of Manila hemp are gone, we're going to be depending on you, the American farmer. Hilarious. That is amazing. Joy Beckerman, you are a plethora of information. Uh, we're going to be right back with Joy after we take our first pause with the cause because there's flaws and laws here. Word from our advertisers and sponsors. Don't go anywhere. Time to roll out for the people that let us hemp present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Are you disturbed by the prescription medication commercials on television and their endless list of side effects? They go on and on and you end up having to take multiple pills to counteract the problems caused by the first pill. It never ends. Have you looked into CBD as a more natural option? At Saturn Ranch, we produce all-natural CBD topicals and THC-infused edibles. Premium lab-tested hemp-derived CBD is the most important ingredient in our products. From topical bombs, salt scrubs, bath-soaking salts to tinctures and edibles, you're sure to find something to help. Family-owned and operated, we at Saturn Ranch believe in and use our products daily. Don't put anything on your body that you wouldn't put in your body. SaturnRanch.com Running a successful cannabis business isn't easy. Successful businesses need to have strong people to achieve long-term results. At Live Advisors, we believe people are the heart of business, and training people can help you infinitely grow your business. Learn more about our offerings at liveadvisors.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be. The Vuber way. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. 
We're back on Hemp Present with Joy Beckerman from Hemp Ace International, and I am learning so much. Joy, under the Washington State Industrial Hemp Law, industrial hemp cannot be processed in Washington for CBD, CBD extract, or any other CBD component. What do you think that is? Well, as much as we are always calling out CBD, and of course, cannabidiol is very popular, I like to discuss all of the phytocannabinoids um, in general. So the issue is that it comes down to federal compliance, and it's such an interesting uh, line in the sand that we're dealing with. So Kentucky, for example, is running completely federal, we believe, a federally compliant, we the HIA, federally compliant program um, under the legitimacy of industrial hemp research, so 7606 of the hemp bill. And at, in Kentucky, they allow for phytocannabinoid extraction. In fact, they lead the way for phytocannabinoid extraction and the universe Kentucky uh, shirts for their hemp program literally says fiber seed cannabinoids embroidered beautiful golf style on the side of the polo. They are into phytocannabinoid extraction and they consider it to be legal under uh, the law, under the definition of industrial hemp, which is was defined for the first time in that section 7606 of the farm bill. It was intentionally defined without any carve-outs for the resin. So when you look at the definition of marijuana under the Controlled Substances Act of 1970, side Note, taken word for word from the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937, the Nixon administration didn't change a single word. Even when you get to the piece, the two sent—it's just the two-sentence definition looks like a whole paragraph. But the second sentence of that definition of marijuana is the exception to industrial hemp. Having said that, there's an exclusion exception in the definition, and it says except the resin therefrom. Well. The definition of industrial hemp, which was created for the first time in U.S. history and distinguished itself from marijuana within this section 7606 of the 2014 Farm Bill, just says any part of the plant, cannabis, sativa, L, whether growing or not, that does not contain greater than 0.3% THC on a dry weight basis. It does not have this parenthetical exclusion that says accept the resin therefrom. So Kentucky says it's the whole plant. And we know what the intent, the legislative intent of it was, because it was Oregon and Kentucky, essentially, in conjunction with the HIA and Vote Hemp, that drafted that definition, and they did it on purpose to free up the whole plant. The DEA, and this is where it gets interesting, because you have federal legislators and other federal bodies arguing with the DEA, but the DEA is the one in control of marijuana and controlled substances, and the DEA says, no, you're wrong, Kentucky. You're wrong, Mitch McConnell. You're wrong, Senator Merkley um, and Wyden from Oregon. We don't care if that was your legislative intent. We're here to tell you over and over in writing, and the HIA has already put in a petition for review in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals um, to fight their most recent finalized rule on marijuana extract, which the DEA finalized in December of 2016, saying if it's from the genus cannabis, we are not differentiating between above 0.3, below 0.3. The word is genus cannabis. You cannot extract from that. It's a Schedule One substance unless it's from the exempted parts of the plant, which they go on to say are phytocannabinoids that adhere to the surface of the mature stock or the cannabis 
feed. Whereas we all know that the lion's share, of course, of the phytocannabinoids come from the leaves, the plant parts, the flowering tops, the resin, and the leaves. So the DEA is saying, all you federal legislators, you're wrong. You cannot extract phytocannabinoids from industrial hemp. That's Schedule One controlled substance. It's a marijuana extract, and, and no for you. But Kentucky continues to move forward and continues to be able to get their DEA permit for, for the Controlled Substance Import and Export Act, which, believe it or not, the CSIEA is separate from the CSA, and you're required to have a DEA permit if you're going to import and export um, the certified seeds. So Kentucky's continuing to get their permit, even though they're behaving this way. Our state took a more conservative approach and said, listen, we don't want to fight with the DEA over this. And, and what's the main difference between Kentucky and Washington? Kentucky is not protecting a legal marijuana market, wherein its Department of Revenue all day, every day, are committing felonious acts. So we have a little bit different situation here in Washington than Kentucky does. So Kentucky's saying, we're blowing the doors down with our hemp program. Come at us. We're defending what we're, the way we're interpreting our compliance. Um, with with this legitimacy of industrial hemp research, and hey, you keep giving us our permit to import certified seeds, so you must be half agreeing with us here. And and here in our state, the WSDA and the Attorney General are like, no, I think we're not going to mess around with it. Having said that, it is another thing to HIA. Now that our rules have been adopted, we've got our legal seeds in the ground. We're going to be moving forward like a train to change that here and say, you know what? If they're still getting their DEA Controlled Substance Input and Export Act permit, then so can Washington. And we need to move forward and allow our hemp producers to be able to process phytocannabinoids. Because, as you know, it's pretty cost prohibitive to even get involved in this program. And we have to be able to have a market. And without these million-dollar infrastructure facilities going up, our hemp farmers, who will be the heroes here in reintroducing the crop, will have no market. But God knows they could extract for phytocannabinoids and we could be generating revenue for those million-dollar markets, which are oil, seed, and fiber. Quick note to understand, brother, that it is pretty getting fairly saturated right now, the U.S.-grown CBD market. There are tens of thousands of kilos still available of beautiful U.S.-grown hemp-derived CBD from last year's crop. And meanwhile, this year's crops are already, you know, a foot, foot and a half high, and they will be extracted. So it is this low-hanging fruit, a bubble that could be saturated, but the bottom line is let the free market take over, let us state-by-state do what we need to do. And I'll also just mention that Senate Bill 5131 that passed in this section, in this last session here, um, in Washington state did have an interesting two little paragraphs in it. One, it gave the WSDA authority to penalize violators of our hemp program because when 2064 passed and liberated industrial hemp as a controlled substance, it was like all these folks thought, oh, I'm just going to grow hemp willy-nilly, and that uh, the state considered that to be uh, impugning our research program, which we are really trying to position ourselves with federal compliance and to, and to go on the forefront with this trillion-dollar oil, seed, and fiber industry and not focus so much on, on phytocannabinoids. So it, it, gave the, you, it gave the WSDA uh, penalizing authority, but it also said it commanded basically the uh, WSDA to draft rules to allow for what they call the waste of our research hemp here, waste meaning flowering tops, leaves, and resin, because we're not allowed to process that, 
and to divert that into the 502 system so the 502 folks can process our hemp for phytocannabinoids. And the WSDA and the Attorney General seemed okay with that, which was a big change from last year, where last year they wouldn't have been okay with that at all. This year they're like, well, shoot, our farmers really do need to have a market. Maybe if we divert it to the 502 market, which we also have regulated and going in compliance with the coal memo, that we can protect ourselves from, you know, from undue scrutiny with the DEA. Having said that, we just need to blow those doors down at this point. And it's the hemp processors that need to be able to process the hemp. And we've got to change that. Joe, we've got one minute till next break. Quickly, what are genomics-assisted crop improvements? Excellent. I'm going, I'm calling BS on genomics assisted crop improvements. We are looking for traditional breeding practices, not genetic modification, not fancy words to make you think it's not genetic modification, such as genomics assisted. I say anytime you're hearing, you know, anytime you're hearing genome, genomic, any of that stuff with some fancy word next to it, it's somebody who's practicing going outside of the boundaries of traditional plant breeding. And we want traditional plant breeding only within cannabis, and particularly in industrial hemp, that's all we need. Industrial hemp doesn't have any needs that would require genetic modification. We just don't have that many enemies. We're long, we're strong, we're sturdy, and we're figuring out our best places to grow. But that I call BS on any of those terms, brother. And to that, I say no GMO 420. We are talking to Joy Beckerman from Hemp Ace International, among other organizations. We're going to take a quick break here. Word from our sponsors, advertisers. Come back with our final questions for Joy Beckerman. Time to roll out for the people that let us hemp present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Strainwise Consulting is the most sought-after consulting company for cannabis business applications and management contracts. We consulted on the first recreational license in the world and have had an over 95% success rate on applications submitted. The industry is growing at such an exponential rate that building a powerful and lasting cannabis business is a number one priority. Here's Strainwise's Sean Eubanks. In our first five years, we branded and supported nine medical and recreational marijuana dispensaries and approximately 160,000 square feet of sophisticated and efficient product cultivation. Strainwise Consulting has the experience and expertise to guide you through the process. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put different celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Hemping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Legal to listen to all over the world. We're just not sure about France. Cannabisradio.com We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. 
And we're back on Hampersand on Cannabis Radio for our final segment with Joy Beckerman. Joy, I got two quick questions uh, for you. One is intoxicating cannabis cannot be labeled as, or let's, let's call it euphoric cannabis, cannot be labeled as organic in Washington State. Can industrial hemp? Thanks for asking. Because of our federal compliance, we get many benefits. There are lots of bells and whistles and goodies that come with federal compliance, which is why the state has gone that way. Um, not just the fact that we're protecting a legal marijuana market. And so part of that federal compliance is that we are eligible for USDA organic certification. If your hemp is not grown in compliance with Section 7606 of the 2014 Farm Bill, you are not eligible. So Washington State, ding, 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 we go, we supersede the WSDA, and we're eligible for USDA organic certification. So they don't need to panic because it's organic. Uh, and lastly, how can folks get involved in the industrial hemp movement and industry and also follow your important work? Thank you very much for this question. As always, this, this answer has never changed. The number one way that you can help get involved with industrial hemp is to buy hemp, folks. You are the voters with your consumer dollars. We have the power. So please go try hemp seed food, try hemp uh, milk, hemp protein. If, if you live in Washington State or if you live in a conscious community, it's there. It's on the shelves. Please buy hemp. Choose hemp paper. Choose hemp textiles. You can go to hemptraders.com. You can go to envirotextiles.com. LLC.com, buy hemp. If you join the HIA, again, this is the Hemp Industries Association, and there are hemp associations popping up ad nauseum. You want the National Brain Trust, that which was founded in 1994. We've had successful, all of our litigation against the DEA has been successful, and we have suits going right now. You want to join the T-H-E H-I-A dot org uh, to get involved. Also, NORML, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, N-O-R ml.org is a fantastic way to keep your finger on the pulse of everything happening with cannabis. For me, please look for me at hempace.com. That's H-E-M-P-A-C-E.com. It has all my speaking engagements there. I speak all over. Many of my events are totally free. And then I would say to please go to vokehemp.com and get to the Take Action tab. We have the Industrial Hemp Farming Act taking place. Uh, it'll be refiled this month for 2018. We've got to get get more senators and representatives involved in co-sponsoring that. And this language is being pre-approved by Secretary Purdue of the USDA, which is a different situation than we've been in the past. So it should be an easier uh, sell to our senators and representatives to get them to co-sponsor. And education. If you were going to be a car mechanic, I would tell you to go to trade school. You want to be a lawyer, go to law school. You want to get involved in industrial hunt, you need education. I have online education, and there is a course that everyone can take at Oregon State University through the eCampus, uh, and it's WSE266, that's Wood Science and Engineer 266. Educate yourself, folks. The, the opportunities are out there, and it's the greatest way to get involved. Joy Beckerman, you are such a ganja goddess. I am always just blown away with your capacity for knowledge. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show, and I'll see you at HempFest. Cannot wait, brother. Thanks for everything you do. Okay, much love to you. Now I want to get to a weekly feature of HempZone on CannabisRadio.com, and that is the quote of the week, and here it is. 
I am very glad to hear that the gardener has saved so much of the St. Foyne seed and that of the India hemp. Make the most you can of both by sowing them again in drills. Let the ground be well prepared and let the seed be sown in April. The hemp may be sown anywhere. And that's George Washington, first president of the United States of America. That concludes this installment of Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio. I want to thank Brasco, my man in the control room, all the Cannabis Radio sponsors and advertisers. Join me next week for some more Reefer Repartan Cannabis Confabulation with some special hippo sapien on a journey to justice because when it comes to prohibition you've got the right not to remain silent activism requires a voice so find yours and speak up for justice because resistance is fertile until then my friends stay strong stand tall and toke it easy don't forget to email me at hemppresent at gmail.com the hemppresent theme song tape back the plants performed by sticker bush sung by a much younger version of myself turn up the music maestro because i'm out marijuana The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.